Good morning, church. Was anybody else grooving to that video, or was that just me? Just me? Okay. Pastor Faye was here in the first service. She had on her cheetah print boots. I was going to have her come up here and groove with me, but it's okay. She didn't want to do it. Um, my name is Bryce. I promise I won't tell jokes the whole time. I'm the uh, pastoral intern. I'm excited to be with you today, and uh, it's always a privilege to be in this room when I can. I learn a lot from everyone that I'm looking at right now. Um, hopefully, you, you join me in learning a ton from God's Word today. Um, I'd love to tell you where we're going to be, and then I, w- I would love to tell you a story about Palm Sunday. Uh, maybe this is your very first Palm Sunday in church, or maybe it's the first time in a while. We're going to talk about the significance of that a little bit today, but um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. So if you brought a Bible with you, or if you have a, a Bible on your phone, you can join me in going to Mark chapter 11. That's in the New Testament. First gospel written, but it's the second listed, right behind Matthew. I read this story this week, lead up to Palm Sunday, about a, a child who was sick on Palm Sunday. He had to stay home from church, and his family went to church, and when they got back, they were carrying with them leaves, palm branches, just like these. And so the child was very, very intrigued at this point, very astounded by what these even were. So he asked his parents, what are those palm branches for? And his parents said, well, these are the ones that uh, the people waved at Jesus and and laid down at Jesus' feet when, when he walked by. And the kids said, of course, the one Sunday I don't go to church and Jesus shows up, right? I can't believe it. I'm glad that was funny twice today. I was curious about it. Nine o'clock gave me hope. Uh, I want to read the scripture for you today. We are here to celebrate King Jesus. Uh, We've been in this series, Jesus is Greater. And my goal today for the next 25 minutes, that's right, I'm going to preach as long as Bill Balknight today. Um, My goal for today is to prove to you through scripture that Jesus is a greater king than David. That's my goal. Many of us have heard of David before. We're going to read about him if you haven't uh, in just a few moments. But here's a, a passage for you from Mark chapter 11, 10 verses, and they say this. This is about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you entered it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say the Lord needs it and we'll return it soon. Just a quick side note from Jesus. If ever you want to steal something, all you have to do is say the Lord needs it. And then you can just take it and go. Uh, Don't quote me on that. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. You see, David is from the lineage of Jesus. The New Testament makes that clear in two different places in Matthew and Luke's gospel genealogies. And here in this passage, as we unpack it today, I believe what we will see collectively is Jesus is the greater of the two, the greater king than David. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you hear us and you love us. Would you speak through me now as we learn more? about Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today, because we believe he's here with us. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you move in a way that only you can, individually to every heart in this room and online. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I would love to uh, give you my outline in advance if I could. I'm going to preach a two-point sermon today instead of a three-point sermon. So my outline is very simple because there are two separating factors, I believe, between David and Jesus that help us see just how much of a greater king Jesus is than David. The first one we're going to talk about is sin. So if you're taking notes, the first one's sin. The second one we're going to talk about is blood. Sin and blood. And then we're going to go home. It's going to be great. Sin is where we're starting. Because sin is a crucial component to the entire scripture. In the Old and New Testament alike. Sin is a constant ever since Genesis 3. We probably all know that story of Adam and Eve. And here today, sin becomes a reality in David's life. But before we get to David's sin which we will get to, I want to give you a little bit about David's resume, if I could. Some of the highlights in his life, not just when he was king. Maybe you've heard the story before of how he slayed Goliath, this giant Philistine enemy of God and God's people. He did this before he was on the throne in Israel. He did it as a mere shepherd boy, believe it or not. Or maybe you've heard the the stories about when Saul, the king at the time, was trying to kill David because he felt threatened by David and what was happening in David's life the Lord was blessing him and on multiple occasions David had the chance to get rid of Saul completely and he didn't in fact he says I don't want to touch the Lord's anointed a man of integrity David was or maybe you even know about David's military victories he was called a man after God's own heart by Samuel ever before anything in terms of his kingship took place. This was the man that God had risen up as the next king of Israel after Saul was king of Israel. But two things, as I said, separate us between David and Jesus, and the first one is sin. You see, in 2 Samuel 7, you can join me in going there if you want, 2 Samuel chapter 7, the words will be on the screen, there's a profound statement made from God to David. Now, this statement was made through a guy named Nathan, a friend of David's. We'll get to him a little bit later as well. But right here, right now in chapter 7, starting in verse 9, this is what the Lord says through Nathan to David. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth. I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. And here's the key, don't miss this. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. You see, this promise to David from the Lord does not just have present-day implications in David's scenario and in David's life. God is promising to David, if you will be faithful to me, I will go ahead and let you know that there's going to be someone else coming from your lineage, a king who will rule on his throne forever. That promise is reiterated throughout all of Scripture leading up to the climactic moment of Jesus Christ here on earth. So God makes a promise to David. A few verses later, and we won't read it, but David actually thanks God for this promise. Lord, I'm a humble servant of yours. Thank you for using me and accomplishing your plans and purposes through me. Then after God makes the promise, after David thanks God for the promise, in chapters 8, 9, and 10 
of 2 Samuel, you could go home today and read about all the military victories that David was winning. Over and over and over again, we see conquest after conquest and victory after victory. And right when David is at the height of his powers, right when he's gaining the most favor with the people because the people have told themselves, we want a leader who will save us from our physical oppression and persecution by the enemies of ours and the enemies of our God. Once David is there on that mountaintop, that's when things go sideways. Because in chapter 11, he falls short. The Bible says in the book of Romans that every person in human history with the exception of Jesus has fallen short at some time or another. Here in David's life, it's right after his victory that he falls short. It's often right after victory that the devil tempts us away from the God who provided it. You see, we have to be people who are aware of how the devil's working. That's the reality. Because the Bible says he's prowling around like a roaring lion trying to devour anyone he can, distract any one of God's servants that he possibly can. And the Bible says that right before David sinned with Bathsheba, this is in chapter 11, the Bible tells us that David was supposed to be at war. This was the time of year that kings went off to war. And yet David was at home, where he wasn't supposed to be. You probably have heard the story before, maybe not. He looks out his window, he sees a woman that he finds attractive, and he invites her up to sleep with her. And this was the same woman married to Uriah, one of his servants fighting for him. And to cover up the sin, he makes sure Uriah disappears. The same Nathan that promised what God had promised in chapter 7 to David is the same Nathan that confronts David of this sin. And it culminates in this statement. This sorrowful statement that the Bible makes to us in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27. This is what the Bible says. After this sin, the Lord was displeased with what David had done. This is a man after my own heart. This is a man who has defeated Goliath. This is a man who has won victory after victory after victory for my people Israel. But right now, this is a man with whom I'm displeased. Because he's fallen short. And yet, the promise that God makes is not revoked. I just wonder how applicable that is to us, you know? That maybe God has called us to do certain things and with our life and in our life. And it's in the moments when we fall short that we're scared he's going to walk away. Because if you're anything like me, you've given him a lot of reasons to walk away. And go invest his time somewhere else. And yet, he's invited you back into his house today. It's crazy. The promise to David was not revoked. And in fact, it comes to be. It comes to fruition, as I said, through one man, Jesus Christ. And this is what God says, similarly to David, but very differently to Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, this is before Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. This was before Jesus had started his public ministry. This was during Jesus' baptism. This is what the Bible says instead of what we heard him say to David. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. With him I'm well pleased. You see, before Jesus did anything, including hang on a cross just like that one, 
before he resurrected out of the grave that we'll celebrate a week from now, before any of that, God made it very clear. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus proves that that is indeed the case. The Bible says that this same Jesus who walked and talked among people like us, he understands our weaknesses because he faced all the same testings that we do. But he did not sin. We would have no reason to gather today. We'd have no hope whatsoever if the last five words of that verse were not in that verse. We'd have no reason. Great, he taught a lot of great things. A lot of people started following him. He worked miracles. He raised a guy from the dead. But if it ended on the cross with no significance, we'd have no reason to be here today. But because he did not sin, we can have new life. And we can look to him in the middle of our sin. It's the difference, it's the main separating factor, I would argue, between David and Jesus. David fell short, people like us fall short, Jesus never did. It's what makes Jesus truly a greater king. I want to make a really weird segue right now and talk about pizza. Do we have any Papa John's and Papa John's fans in the house? Okay, thank you, Mike, I appreciate that. I'm a huge Papa John's fan for one reason, and it has nothing to do with the pizza. It's because of the slogan that has stuck with me all these years. I can't get it out of my head. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Maybe you've heard that commercial before. How easy it would have been as a marketing strategy for the corporate office of Papa John's to come together and say, if we want to get more business and take business away from Pizza Hut and Domino's and Little Caesars and all these other restaurants that we're competing with, we could easily just say we have better pizza and people might come. But they decided to take it a step further. We don't just want to tell people about the pizza they'll be eating. We want to share with them what went into making it. They were focused on the ingredients, the recipe. The recipe for redemption could not include sin. Because sinners cannot save sinners from sin. There's no way that can happen. It might be hard for our minds to comprehend, but it's the boat we're in nonetheless. Sinners, like even King David, could not save sinners from sin. You see, it's interesting to me that the Israelites, during David's time, they wanted a king to come that would bring them victory over their oppressors, their enemies, like the Philistines, like Goliath. And that's exactly who God sent. And during Jesus' time, because of David's conquest, the people right here in Mark chapter 11 that are laying these palm branches down, they're waving these palm branches in the air. They too want a king that will deliver them from the oppression they feel from the Romans. Same story, different time, different people. Same desire. Because the people were convinced that their greatest need was freedom from the physical persecution and bondage that they were feeling. It was painful. And yet I believe, I'm solely convinced that the greatest need for the human race is actually freedom for all eternity from sin. And that's why God did not send David, he sent Jesus. To do something that looked completely backwards, completely upside down. And that's where blood comes in. Because the way that God has made things to be, there had to be a blood sacrifice. It was an Old Testament concept. 
but it was temporary. There had to be an eternal sacrifice that someone would spill their own blood to set things right, but that someone couldn't have sin in their life. It had to be someone spotless, someone without blemish, the Bible says. And that's where we find the people and we find Jesus. But David, as we said, was known, liked, worshipped, praised at times because of his conquest, his victory. You may have heard this statement, Saul has killed his thousands, but David David is ten thousands. Statements like that were made about David because of the military man that he was leading the charge. He kills Goliath, like we said, a Philistine, an enemy of God. No one else was going to do it, but he did it. On another occasion, he kills 47,000 soldiers in one sweep. To put that in perspective, that is the whole lower part of Williams Bryce Stadium. It's to give you some imagery. It's a lot of people. This was who David was, and he was liked greatly because of it. And the people, when we get to Mark chapter 11, waving these palm branches, were ready for the same thing. Maybe even a better version. We know the stories. You see, when Jesus was walking in to Jerusalem, it was fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. In Zechariah chapter 9, we see coming to fruition what's happening. We hear it prophesied about in the Old Testament. The people would have been very aware of that. So as Jesus is riding in, he's not only making a statement of humility on the donkey's colt, he's also making a statement to say, I'm the guy. I'm the one you've been reading about. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one who's here to set things straight again and right again. And the people were praising him for it. That's amazing. This was a sign of triumph and victory in that culture. So no wonder they're waving these things around Jesus. Finally, the man that we've waited for to free us from the bondage of the Romans, to set things right again, just like his ancestor David, he's here. You see, they were looking through two different lenses, and this is where we see God take whatever kingdoms of the world we could possibly see and within the kingdom of heaven flip it upside down. You may have heard the kingdom of heaven referred to this before as the upside down kingdom because many things that God does, we, we scratch our heads in amazement and confusion initially. Like, what in the, this doesn't make any sense. For instance, The people were ready for Jesus to come and spill the blood of the Romans. And yet, just within a week's time, it would be the Romans spilling the blood of Jesus. What? Doesn't make any sense. How could this be? I can just imagine the the Israelites at this time, the Jewish people, they're confused. They see Jesus hanging on a cross just like that. And they're trying to figure out why this story ended in such a brutal way on a Roman cross. Everything's dark for a couple days and chances are you know how the story actually ends. That it's actually just the beginning of something brand new. New life that Jesus experiences and then gives to us. He creates an entrance into the kingdom of heaven and he actually, the the Bible says, goes to prepare a place for people like us to enter into that kingdom of heaven. But for that temporary moment, that moment in time, there had to be a lot of questions. Have I wasted my life? Maybe from the disciples. Three years following a guy that many were curious about but even more didn't want anything to do with. 
I've committed my life to this, and now he's on a cross. I wonder if his story's going to end the same way every other king in human history has. You see, if I could say it in simplest terms for us today. This week, I was doing some study on kings beyond just David. Emperors like Alexander the Great, Napoleon Bonaparte, Charlemagne, all these people I learned about in third grade and forgot about. I was doing some research on them. And uniquely and, and crazy to me was every single paragraph I read on these guys was not only inspiring, it was awesome to see their conquests and just the amazing things they did in human history, but they all ended the same way, every single paragraph. It said, however, however, Alexander the Great died. Napoleon Bonaparte, yeah, he's, he's dead. And so in simplest terms, if you're looking for a reason, by faith to believe that Jesus is the greater king, it's because um, David is in the ground right now. He's not breathing anymore. It's over. And yet, I believe, maybe you join me in this, that Jesus did not only come back to life, but he's back in heaven. And he's sitting right next to his father, interceding, praying for each of us. That's the kind of king that I want to commit my life to. Because I don't want my life and my story to be 80, 90, 100 years maybe. And that's it. In a sinful, broken world that I am a part of. I want there to be something greater and that's where God has provided it. Through Jesus. The only sacrifice that possibly could have. And he did it willingly. Obedient to the point of death, the Bible says. This is why I'm convinced that Jesus is the greater king, but the mere statement that Jesus is a greater king means absolutely nothing if we only listen and keep doing our thing. I wonder what the application needs to be. I wonder what the takeaway needs to be. And I'm not here to tell you exactly what it needs to be. A couple options might sound like I want to surrender absolutely everything. I've been kind of doing life like this, and I need to do life like this, to give God the reins, which take it from me in only 25 years, that's a really scary thing to do because you don't know what God has planned quite yet. He's given you glimpses but not the full story because if he gave you the full story, if you're like me, you'd probably screw it up and you'd probably try to take the reins back. But instead, maybe it's, God, I want you to have every part of my life, I'm done playing the game. I'm done playing the church game. I wonder if maybe for us, if we actually do believe that King Jesus is King Jesus, capital K, and he's alive today, maybe some of us need to readdress the fact that we have a relationship with the church, but we don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe. If your story is anything like mine, that is. I don't know what the application is. I don't know what the conviction, maybe that Holy Spirit thing that you feel right now in your heart, that, that thought racing through your mind, I don't know what it is. But I do know where it's from. And it's from the same king that we've talked about this morning as proof that he is alive. That's the reality with King Jesus, and I believe that he is the greater king. In just a moment, we are going to remember his sacrificial love that showed us just how great he was and is on the cross, through communion. And my prayer is that this is not just a time where we eat a piece of bread and drink the grape juice and leave and get excited for Holy Week, but we pause for a moment. 
that we actually consider the magnitude of a man who lived his life for 33, approximately 33 years without ever falling short and yet to the point of death got on a cross for those who did fall short, continue to fall short, like me and you. That's my prayer. That's my hope. He's the greater king. And by faith, we have the opportunity to believe it in this very moment. Let's pray. Father, we know it to be true. We believe that uh, the truth about Jesus is sometimes hard for the world to understand because it seems backwards. Maybe to some it's confusing. It doesn't seem like it actually could be. And yet that's the beauty and the mystery of the cross of Christ. Lord, we pray for every person here today that you would not let us move past this moment without confronting the thoughts in our minds that have been placed there by the Holy Spirit, the pounding that we feel on our hearts right now. Would you let us not miss this moment? Through this partaking in this sacrament, I pray that we as your church would be deeply reminded of your sacrificial love on the cross in preparation for Holy Week and Easter Sunday. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for all you've said and done. Thank you that you're still doing that as you're alive today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.